Make Him your God, the God of your everything. And that includes, according to that song there, includes the pain that nobody else ever sees. It includes your strengths and your weaknesses, your shortcomings and your victories. He wants to be the God of all of it. He's not going to force His way. You're going to have to give Him those things. And I would encourage you to take that seriously, to listen, let your heart be pricked with that. And you can even do it right now. If there's something in, in the worship this morning that stuck, stuck, sticks in your mind as something that is maybe you feel it's too much for Him or too much or can't be handled, give it to Him right now. Just, here God, take it. He wants to be your God of your everything. And I want to tell you this too, you can trust Him. You can trust Him. He's the maker of the universe. He's the God who turned water into wine. He's the God that parted the Red Sea when the armies were behind His people and threatening them. He's the God that rose people from the dead. There's nothing in your life that is too big, too gnarly, too deep, or too hard for Him to take care of. He's got broad shoulders and he can take it all and he wants to take it all. And he wants to make a difference. But you've got you to gotta give those things to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are well qualified to be the God of our everything. And Lord, you stand even this morning fresh and new knocking at the door of each of our hearts regardless of where we're at and putting your finger on things that we need to give you and not hold back. And I pray that we would have willing, soft, sensitive hearts that receive that from you this morning and then give to you, even if it's reluctantly that we make that choice to take that step to give you those areas of our life. And Lord, I pray that you'd show yourself strong in that, that you would make a difference as we know you can. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to come and bring understanding and insight as we look at the Word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> um, title this morning, Our Hearts Need a Surgeon, which will take on meaning at the end of the service this morning. But before we get in there, I'm going to read a, a passage of Scripture to you in just a second. But before we get there, um, last week I posed a question, how, how do you know if someone is saved? And I want you, you can do this. You can do more than one thing with your brain at one time. You really, well, you can't, but we won't get into the technicalities of all that. But that's a question. How do you know somebody's going to be saved? That can be for your own personal life of wondering that. Where are you at with the Lord and where are you at on your journey with the Lord and those things there. But it can also be something that as you reach out and talk to people, family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors, whatever it happens to be, of wondering where are they at and how do I know where they're at? And that's what that crux of that message last week and where we're at in this, this mini-series of sermons is how do you know where a person's really at? How do you know where you're, where you're at personally with the Lord and how do you know where another person's at with the Lord? And we drew a couple conclusions last week. And again, if you weren't here for that message or want to refresh that, just go to our church website and go to the sermon archive and it'll take you to a YouTube channel and you can find it, find it there. Okay? Um, we're on our podcast. Uh, a couple conclusions we came to last week after looking at the scripture is salvation occurs in a person who has a changed heart, if you remember that. 
Um, we talked about having your heart cut. Move deeply in your heart to a point of a changed heart. And we also talked that when that heart is changed or cut like that, it actually compels us to act, to do something about it. And that acting and changing is not just our own best intentions. It's a, a, a leaving of our old life, the things, leaving the things that are not according to what God would say, that are either disobedient or overlooking what he has to say, and running towards the things of God. And in that also then is we find building up with us as our heart is, 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 is pricked and changed and, 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 and moved by God, we, we, we have a desire that continues to grow within us that we would find out what it is that pleases him and then engage in that stuff with all of our might. Rather than something we only do on Sundays or periodically in the morning or whatever, it becomes a saturating, driven state where they're in and, and, and it compels us to move. Jesus said too, we looked at this last week, Jesus made the statement that by their fruit you will recognize them. And he said this, how do you know those who are truly my followers? Those are the ones that do the will of my Father. Those who bear fruit in keeping with repentance or a changed heart. It's, it's drilled right into that. The, the evidence of where we're truly at with the Lord is in what we do and how we live our lives and the choices that we make. And today we want to look at another interaction that somebody had with Jesus. Instead of taking my word and letting me draw the conclusions, go on this journey with me, which we did last week, which I encourage you if you haven't, go back, listen to it. You look at the stories yourself and interact around them. We're going to take a look at another story this morning from the life of Jesus and somebody he interacted with, and that's in Matthew 19, 16 through 30. It's a little longer than what I put up on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you to start out with. Matthew chapter 19, 16 through 30. And it says this. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what's good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So I want to start out with talking a little bit about 
This is Jesus that we're talking about here. And reminding you of a few things about Jesus. This is Jesus who gave his very life. Gave his very life so that people could inherit eternal life. You can say on so many levels he gave his very life. When he entered his public ministry in the last three years of his life, it was all-consuming and filled every day for those three years. He rested and did other things like you and I do, but it, it appears that he stopped his regular employment and gave everything to preaching and teaching and talking and interacting with people. And then it ultimately ends up giving his physical life and through the death on a cross. This is the Jesus that we're talking about that has interaction. He gave his very life so that people could inherit eternal life. It's also the, uh, um, the Jesus who represents God who is patient with people. And the scripture tells us that he's not wanting anyone to perish. What does that mean? Not wanting anyone to be separated from God all for all eternity in hell. But he wants everyone to have the chance and the opportunity and actually to come into repentance, which means having a changed heart and starting to act in obedience and walking in relationship with God for all eternity. That's the Jesus that we're talking about, who gave his life, had great patience with people, and desires for all people to walk in relationship with his Father. Okay? Now let's start taking a look at this interaction. This young man comes up and he, he, he encounters Jesus. We don't know if there was an encounter prior to this, what their interaction was around leading into this. We just, we're let in now. The man is there in front of Jesus and he asks the question, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Basically, he's asking, Jesus, what, what kind of good things do I need to do so I can enter God's kingdom, so I can spend eternity in heaven, so I can walk with God, if you will? Sounds like a really good question, doesn't it? Sounds like a great question. Sounds like the man has a sincere heart. It sounds like a heart that has changed or is considering change. On the surface, when you look at this interaction, his initial question leads us to immediately think, that guy's got it on. He's doing great. It's wonderful. All those things there. But I want to caution us to not draw conclusions yet to go all the way through the story because the first impression is that but is that really where he's at okay Jesus follows with another question he says if you want to enter life I want to say this though but before he says if you want to enter life or if you want to have life he does something also a little bit odd it appears this guy's got this great question and a great heart condition. And you know how Jesus' initial response is to this guy? It's almost like he's finding fault with him. and almost sounds like he's rebuking him. almost sounds like he's angry. Listen again. The man says, the man says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And immediately, Jesus' response immediately is this. Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. So he takes his question, which sounds like it's heartfelt, and he immediately brings correction. Immediately. That should set up, as I was looking at this week, it immediately sends up a warning flag that maybe, just maybe, this man's heart is not where I think it is, or what a human would think it's at. Maybe there's more going on. But instead of drawing that conclusion, let's continue on and see the rest of what Jesus does in their interaction. 
So Jesus, after he gets that thing out of the way, he says, if you want to enter eternal life, okay, Jesus actually seems to be challenging this young man's heart right from the start. Right from the start here. He's asking him, the man has already said, what do I need to do to get life? And then Jesus says this, if you want to enter life. He's asking him, do you really want eternal life? He's actually going a step further because in that word want is not just having the desire for it. It's an interesting thing. Again, the Greek language and even the Hebrew language, oftentimes a word that we translate into English that has a meaning for us that's very shallow. If you go and look at the Greek meaning, it's layered, it's deep. And this is one of those words. Because if you want eternal life, well, duh, Jesus, of course he does. If he did, he wouldn't have asked, what do I need to do? But Jesus is at more than that, and this word want pushes it a step further. He's saying, it's not just enough. I know you want it, but are you willing are you, are you willing to do things? The word want here means not only wanting it or willing it, but also pressing on to action to get there, which should, if you've been tracking with last week again, this idea of the actions that follow. The wanting, Jesus is saying, if you really want it, not just have this desire or this will that, you, that this thing is there wanting it, but the pressing on to action to pursue it. He's actually asking the young man, do you have the resolve to do the will of God in this matter? Do you have the resolve to do what it takes to inherit eternal life? A lot different than the word want. You see the depth of that. And that's where he's at. And you see, this is in the initial reaction that Jesus has to this man. He takes him beyond just his desire, but confronts him right then with the word. Do you have the desire to press on to action in this. Jesus goes on and just tells him in that, you know, do you want this? Then obey the commands. And what he's referring to here is he, he goes on then and he's talking about the commands that were in the Mosaic Law, which is all the commands that had been written at that time. There weren't the New Testament. There weren't Jesus' teachings recorded yet. And basically he starts and goes right into the Ten Commandments, which all good Hebrew men would have known, would have had memorized from a young age. And he told them that he should be observing and obeying the list that he had given them. Okay? Not a lot there that should be awe-inspiring. But I want to tell you this. There's an awful lot in this young man's response. Let's, let's track back again. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life, to get life? And Jesus says, if you really want and have the desire to pursue action to get eternal life, then obey commands. And the man's response was, which ones? Which ones? Let that response sink in for just a second. If your kid came to you and they asked a question like that and you said, do the things I tell you to do and then they said, which ones? What was, what's your initial reaction going to be? They're trying to... Well, that's, yeah, you're going to come back all of them which basically, she just cut right to the quick. That's where Jesus is going to get to in the end. But the bottom line is you're immediately going to say, what are they hiding? 
Is their heart really sincere that they want to do what I want them to do when they're only asking which ones? That's a loaded state. Isn't that a loaded? I mean, I mean, we can we can allow ourselves a little bit to start to, to let ourselves into this and maybe draw a preliminary conclusion, but then then we can go on and test it. What do you think is in this young man's heart when he asks that question? When Jesus says to follow the commands, and he says which ones? Why would he ask such a thing? I uh, I bring out a couple questions. Doesn't that response suggest that his heart? really hasn't been truly cut or pricked or changed yet. I want to remind you, it's an awful lot different than what we see in the responses and the interactions with the people in Acts 2 that we referred to last week when they interrupt Peter's message and saying, what do we need to do? If you're looking at the tone of what they did and the way this man, the tone of what he is, we're talking two totally different situations. They are like, you got to let us in on what's going on here and what we can do. And his is like, which ones? Which ones? And the other thing, too, is when the response was given in Acts 2... Peter's response when they interrupted was what? Repent and be baptized. We say, well, it doesn't tell us that happened. If you read to the end of that story, it says in that day, it was either two or 3,000 people were added to the kingdom of God. You know what that means is? They did exactly what was told to them without question. They repented and became baptized and became followers of God and salvation came to them that day. It's as if this young man already, at this point of the interaction, is already aware in his own heart that there are things that he should be doing that he's not. Okay? And you don't need to take my word for it and take my conclusion. I'm just trying to let you see how to interact with the Word of God. You should never like let your conclusion be the thing there, but then test it going further. It appears, it can look like, very clearly now, this man has a sense that there's other things he should be doing that he's not doing. He comes to Jesus and asks, what do I need to do to get life? Then he says, which ones? And he continues on down that. But let's continue on. Jesus gives the young man this list. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't do all these things there. Uh, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. He gives those things out there. And the man's response initially is this. All of these I have kept. I've done it. The things you just said, I've done all those things. Another version would say, I've been doing those things since I was a child. It's been a lifestyle for me. That settles it, right? Jesus gave a list. I've done it. Conversation can end because it's all taken care of. He's done what Jesus said, right? Or maybe not. Because look at the next thing that comes out of the man's mouth. I have done these things. What do I still lack? Let that sink in for just a second. Let that sink in for a second. I've done them. I've done what you said, Jesus. What do I still lack? It's a real window into this young man's heart. Even though he has, and I believe he's being honest, 
I think he honestly is answering, I've been doing all of that since I was a child, since it was taught to me. I've been obeying those things. But the interesting thing is that question, what do I still lack? He still doesn't have peace. He still doesn't have assurance that he's on the right track or that he's okay. There's something deep down inside that's telling him he's still not quite right with God. Something's awry. How do I could say that? Because other people that would say the first thing, all these things I have kept and have been obedient, walk away excited and pumped like Zacchaeus last week. Jesus, I'm going to do these things, and the salvation has come to this as a done deal. And our immediate conclusion is that Zacchaeus walks off into the sunset as a follower of Jesus and doesn't turn back. But when this man says, what do I still lack? It shows that something is still out of whack in there. It's not quite right. Sheds light on his heart. It actually, you can go back now, it adds a lot more to the ones when he says, which ones? Because he says, what do I still lack? There's still some things inside of him that are just, eh. Deep, and I'm going to tell you this, I believe deep inside, he really knew that there were some things that, that, that needed to be done. He recognized that he had fallen short, that he was deficient in his relationship with God, and Jesus' answer of obeying these commands was not enough to make him feel okay about where he was at, because it wasn't enough. The thing is, we're not left there, that we can continue on. Jesus goes all the way with this young man now. Now we're in this, we've been having this interaction, and now everything is laid bare and opened up, and he's asked, what do I still lack? And then Jesus says this, if you want to be perfect, a phrase, if you want to be perfect, first off, he uses the same word want again, which is not just desiring it and having a will to see it happen, but actually being pressed and moved to action to actually see that it occurs. Okay? Now, perfection. I'm going to jump ahead and just put this up there unless you think that, because perfect, who can be perfect? It's not perfect, meaning that you never make a mistake. Okay, Get that in your mind right now. When Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, he's not saying that you'll never ever make a mistake again. He's actually asking him, do you want to be truly obedient and fully devoted to God? Is the summary you can put on it. The, the, the word perfection there means reaching the goal, reaching the objective, or reaching the purpose for which one's been built for. Being complete, finished, fully grown, fully mature. It's a lot more than our word perfect, which means without flaw, without mistake. And Jesus is not talking about that. And if you've walked with God for any length of time, you know that perfection is not possible. Even with God's help, we still have a fallen nature and we make mistakes. And Jesus is not playing games with this guy's head and asking him if he wants to do something that can't be done. He's actually telling him, do you want to reach the goal? Do you want to reach the purpose for which you've been, been built for? Do you want to be truly obedient and fully devoted to what God has for you? So now we're at this really good moment where Jesus, and you say, well, why didn't Jesus say that at the beginning? Because Jesus knew the man's heart. He said, now, I want to take a step back. Well, of course he did. He's God. But you've got to realize that Jesus is God in a man's body. He's got a man's brain. He's got a man's body. But he has the character and nature of God and God himself. I don't know where one begins and the other ends. Scripture doesn't let us in on that. 
but I think that Jesus was more human than we often think he was. The Bible says he was fully God and fully man. That's an interesting concept right there. I don't know for sure if when that man came across the crowd and walked up to Jesus, if Jesus had this laser brain moment where he saw the man's heart and knew everything that was in it. I think it started right at the beginning when the man asked him the question. Jesus is like, not sure about that question. So he challenges it and leads him through. And now he gets into the spot because of the interaction. He's saying, okay, now we're at a spot where I can go all the way and he's ready to hear this question and give it consideration. And so what does he say once he's got him in that spot? He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, you notice what I put up on the screen? Come follow me. In all my Christian life, this specific story has always been because that's what the that's what the, the the nice guys that give you headings call this. The story is called the rich young man, and it always seems to be touted as a story on wealth. And actually, the end of the passage I read you about Jesus saying it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But I don't think that's the main theme in this story. I think the main theme of this story is that statement right there. Then come follow me, because Jesus said. When the disciples said, well then, who, how could anybody come to follow you and walk in relationship? And Jesus said something very interesting. He said, with man, it's impossible. In other words, you can't do it by yourself, but with God, all things are possible. So this is not a treatise saying that a rich person can't enter the kingdom of heaven and can't be right with God. It's just simply saying there's a stumbling block put there. But you know what? If it would have been a political leader or a religious leader, he would have said something different. He said, it's very hard for a religious person to enter the kingdom of heaven because they got all those entrapments. They're stumbling blocks. Every single person in the room has stumbling blocks or things that make it difficult for them to enter the kingdom of God and it would leave them in the same spot where Peter would say, well, what hope is there for us then? And Jesus said, on your own strength. It's impossible. You're not going to be able to make the decision and choice for yourself and get this done. But when you turn your heart over to God, all things are possible as far as entering the kingdom. And so I want to focus our attention this morning on the real thing that Jesus was asking, then come follow me. And I want to say, why am I focusing on that? Because that is a common statement of Jesus Christ in his three years of ministry. That's how he called every one of his disciples, the twelve that go on to be the leaders of the church. His question to each one of them was, come on, follow me, follow me, follow me. He says it over and over again, follow me. That's what he's asking people to do, come follow me. And he asked this rich young, rich young man, come, follow me. We just watched it this morning. It was in The Chosen that we watched this morning in Sunday school. You notice that? He at, Thomas says, he... Ask me to follow him, to meet him in Samaria in 12 days. And if you followed through that, he asked Simon and the fishermen to follow him. Spoiler alert. Matthew, guess what he walks by his tax booth and says, Matthew, come follow me. A very simple thing. Well, they need more explanation. 
What did those guys do? They dropped what they had and they left it all to follow him. Jesus was bidding this man, come, follow me. Come, go with me. Follow me. Accompany me. Be my attendant. Lean on me. Learn from me. It's a lot more than just following the leader. There's a whole lot of stuff in that. And it's not an occasional or a temporary following me. And that's the beautiful thing about that is lost in our culture. When Jesus asked the disciples to follow him, you know what they did? They actually went and walked and talked and went with him and went wherever he went and how that worked. A totally different cultural situation. It doesn't translate very well. I could ask you to come and follow me as I follow Christ, but in our world it's like, we're going to come stay at my house every night? Jesus didn't have a place to stay. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's different. So we've got to find out the equivalent of that in our own lives. He was calling this man to have ongoing, regular fellowship with Jesus. To be taught. To receive salvation. The thing he's asking for because of his following Jesus. To trust Jesus. To obey his teachings. To cleave to him no matter what would come his way. To act according to Jesus' example, to do what Jesus did. And the bottom line is that was going to require self-denial. He was going to need to lay aside his own needs and his own wants to serve and to follow Jesus. And at this point, Jesus knows that he's a rich man and at this point is surmising or has an insight by the Spirit or I don't know what that all is. But he recognizes this man's big stumbling block that needs to be laid aside is his wealth and his trust in the worldly things. Isn't it interesting, the very thing that Jesus directly asks this man to do, to sell his possessions and give it to the poor, is something that Zacchaeus appears to do, maybe without even being told. Or if he was told from last week's message, what did Zacchaeus do? He comes, Jesus... I'm going to give half of my possessions away to the poor, and then anybody that I've cheated as a tax collector, I'm going to look them up, and I'm going to give them back four times what I took from them. Notice similar wealth, similar things that need to be sacrificed. When Zacchaeus did that, the Bible says, and today salvation has come to this home. I want you to see the result in this man. This is not a happy ending. Young man, Went away sad. When he heard, not the first heard, maybe not even the second heard, but when he gets to that moment when Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, when he hears that, he's there and he's listening, and what comes out of them comes out of the mouth next. I'm not 100% sure how much he actually heard the come follow me part because he got stuck on the thing he was unwilling to give up, which is his wealth. When he heard and he understood what Jesus was asking of him, we can tell by his actions that he was unwilling to do it. He didn't even argue with Jesus. He didn't didn't even ask for clarification. The Bible tells us in that moment he turned away and he walked away sad. He was grieved. 
He was afflicted with sorrow in his heart. He was distressed and agitated in his heart. And he walked away. We would say this. He's so close to salvation. Look, look how close he is. He's got Jesus himself there. and They're having this intense interaction where it's really to the, to the depth of the point of the matter. It's so close. But was he really that close? We're looking at it from a human perspective and the whole bunch of this stuff we're talking about is we've got to be very careful. Just because he was asking questions that sound good doesn't mean that his heart was really in the right place and really ready. Was his heart truly changed, truly pricked, truly moved because he was asking the questions? If we go back to last week, what is the proof of a truly changed heart, a truly pricked heart, cut to the quick, that God is really working in the heart and the person's open and has that soft heart? I ask you, what is the test that the Bible, by their fruit, you will know them. What do they do with the truth of God that's presented in the midst of that interaction? This man, I don't believe, was as close to salvation as you and I and our human thinking would think. We bring our humanity into this whole salvation thing way too much. Because it's the same thing. We can look at it like if I'm... I've been trying to, buy, trying to, I've been trying to give somebody money to give me a car. I've been trying for weeks. And uh, some of it's because we're stubborn and don't want to pay a lot. But then the second thing is, is it's just a long story. I won't even go there. I'll get angry. <laughs> been a, but we do have one, though. We hope. <laughs> we're a little pessimistic. But when it comes to selling things, when you're close to a sale, that's, you know, if you're a salesman, they say you've got to, like, uh, you know, I don't even, I'm not a good salesman, so I don't even know all the terms, but it's like, you know, to... to to uh, evaluate, or what's, there's a word for it, salesman, what is it you have to, what do you do with, your, with a customer that comes in? You have to look at them and you qualify. There you go. Coming from a good salesman over there. Qualify the client. You and I, if we interacted with that young man, would qualify him as, bang, there's, there's a guy that's ready to come to Christ. God's got his hand on him. It's basically a done deal. I just got to step in and do it. You and I, if, we'd have, if we would encounter Zacchaeus, probably wouldn't have had the same response because all Zacchaeus was doing is standing in a tree because he's short and he wants to see Jesus. We would say, there's nothing going on in his heart. He hasn't asked any questions. Two different guys. Totally different responses. And as human beings, we would read it all wrong. But we have the Spirit of God that lived in Jesus that could help us to see these things. This man, I don't believe, was as close to salvation as we would think. We look at his questions, but then we also need to look at the things that he did. You see, Jesus looked at his heart. Jesus, all the way through the whole process, is listening to what he's saying, but is after what's in his heart. Because Jesus knows that it's the heart that needs to change. It's the heart that's going to push this man to action and bring him to salvation. And you know what? Jesus is reading his heart and is interacting. And this is another thing. How many of us would have done what Jesus did? We tell the person the truth. And their response is to hang their head in sadness and turn and walk away. 
They didn't get angry. They didn't curse us out. They didn't say, you, you're nuts. You could tell the discouraged, the disgruntled, not, not even disgruntled, discouraged, distressed emotion and sadness as they walk away. I would not have done what Jesus did. I would have chased after that man and pleaded with him and done what. What did Jesus do? He didn't make one step that we know of towards this young man at all. The Bible says when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus says to his disciples, turns to them and says, I tell you the truth. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Ooh, ooh, that's nasty. They've just had something occur in front of them. They saw the interaction. Jesus doesn't chase after the man. He turns and drives a hard lesson home to those that are following him. Jesus let him leave, for this man's heart was not compelled to act. And Jesus knew that if he's not willing to act on what he knows that he needs to do, it does me no good to chase after him to try to twist his arm to get it done. He's got to make that decision on his own. This man's heart, I'm going to tell you, had not changed. It was not cut. It was not pricked. How do I know that? Because he failed to act on what Jesus said. Going back to last week's message, when we developed that, you're going to have to read, go back and listen to that. If a person's heart is changed, that's what leads to salvation, and the evidence is what they do, which is repenting, which is changing life and walking in a different way, in a different direction. This man was unwilling to do it. This man had other things. And I even hesitate to put the thing out there because we'll let ourselves off the hook. This man had other things that were more important to him than eternal life. You say, how can you say that? Because he had other things that held him back from being obedient to what Jesus told him it was going to take for him to enter into eternal life. So he valued those other things more than the thing that he came and asked Jesus for. That's really what was going on. In that situation for this man is the other thing was his wealth. The reason I say that, most of us will let ourselves off the hook by saying, I'm not rich. Because we compare ourselves to everybody else. And some just simply saying, like I said at the beginning, it may not be wealth in me or in you. It might be something else. Something else that's more important than pursuing eternal life. More important than being obedient to what Jesus says. And God has a way. And those of you that have walked with him openly with a soft heart for years, you know that he puts his fingers on things and asks you to give them up. He pleads with you like we sang this morning, make me the God of your everything. All the stuff. The stuff that you want to hold on to and control and the stuff that you don't want anybody else to give it to me. And the moment that we say yes... We enter into deeper life, and the moment we're saying, I can't, we take a step away from life. Jesus had been looking at this man's heart from the very beginning. When the guy came, I'm not sure that Jesus got super excited and all emotional. Look at somebody's coming. Yeah, they're coming down the aisle, ready to be saved. I think he's like, good. I hope. Where's the heart at? 
and his questioning, his interaction is trying to get to that spot where the heart is at. He says, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. Jesus sensed early on that this man's heart might not be in the right place. And so Jesus went right for his heart in the interaction. He didn't leave it all surfacy. You could say this. Jesus made it really, really hard for this guy to come to the Lord. We would never accuse Jesus of that because he's Jesus. But if one of us did what that guy did, there would be others that would look at a person that, that treated somebody that and saying, you're being way too hard on them. You're doing things. We would even use this. You're doing things that Jesus wouldn't even do. No way. Jesus is the one that did this. He made it really hard on that guy because he had received inspiration that there was something this guy needed to give up and that was his wealth is what it was going to take for him to be able to... Because the desire was... Jesus didn't care about his wealth. He really didn't care about that. The Bible says at one spot, wealth, what are you worried about? My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Money is not important to God. It's important to him in one sense because it's a problem with me and it's a problem with you. Just like sex and alcohol and drugs and, and pride and arrogance and division and... and and, and arguing and temper and I could go on and on all day long about things. Jesus doesn't really care about those things except for the fact that they're a problem for you and I and they get in the way of us following him, which is what he's really after. If you want to hear what Jesus is saying today, I'm not telling you that he's asking you to give half your possessions to the poor, which is the common theme between two weeks. No, I'm telling you the common theme throughout Scripture is Jesus is calling everybody that hears this, come and follow me. I'm also going to tell you something hard this morning. You ask, being Jesus asking you to come and follow him is going to require you and demand of you to give certain things up. You will not be able to follow Jesus if you've never come to follow Jesus before, you will not be able to follow Jesus living the life that you are now. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've been walking with Jesus for, your, for years and years and years, when he says to come and follow and take a deeper step with me, I'm going to tell you also, it's going to require you to give certain things up. Because you can never take a deeper step with God and not have it cost you something. And you say, how can you say such hard things? What did David do when he's... he's, he's He's in the midst, I think it was, if I got my story right, in the midst of that plague, because of the census, the story there where the, the, the angel is there, and he sees that, and, and he, he begs God to stop. And God stops. And now he's compelled in thankfulness to provide an offering. He just happens to be at a spot where there's a man over there plowing. And he goes, and he says, I need to provide... Let me, let me buy your land right here. This is how desperate he is to say thank you. Let me buy your land. And let me buy your oxen. And the man gives him the land, gives him the oxen, and gives him the plow to be able to provide the, the oxen or the sacrifice. The plow is the wood to burn it. And the man says, no, I could never ask you, O king, to worship the Lord. To, I, I, give it, take it. And, and David says something huge. He said, I will never offer something to my God that didn't cost me something. And it's not something that he's works-oriented. David realized that taking a deeper step with God always costs something. And he was not willing to cheapen that. 
and you and I would listen well to realize that taking deeper steps in relationship with Jesus Christ is going to cost. It's going to require us to do hard things. Think of the young man. He walked away because the thing that Jesus asked him for his opinion was too hard. Now, maybe wealth is your problem, and you can fully identify with the young man. Many of you are saying, dude, just give it up. It's not that important. That's because it's not a problem with us. But I'm sure that that man didn't have other problems in other areas where he said, oh, I've already done that. I've been doing that for a while. But Jesus puts his finger on the thing that was hard for him to give up. How about Jesus was, he laid down the truth, and I want to tell you, Jesus was faithful to that man. He was faithful to that man. He's faithful to us. He will tell us the hard truth if we're listening. And it's up to us to decide what we're going to do with that. And you know what? We owe it to the people around us to be faithful to them, to love them and care for them enough to give them the honest, full truth of what it takes to serve God. Takeaways. Quickly. God looks at our hearts. Look at this scripture. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Make no mistake. God sees my heart. He sees your heart. He sees the hearts of everybody worldwide. He sees all the hearts of the people all over Jefferson County. He sees the condition of each person's heart. He recognizes the sensitivity level in that heart. He knows what's in it. All. Of what's, in it. of what's in it. Make no mistake, Make no mistake that God, that God judges, you and, judges you and I about what he finds in our heart and how we act out of what is in our heart. He goes on and tells us something that should be an eye-opener. Our hearts are deceitful. I want you to think, you don't even have to spend time speculating too much on that. Think about the man in the story today. The man in our story today was deceived by his own heart. His heart led him to Jesus. His heart led him to ask a question of Jesus. And his heart was also telling him loudly, there's more that you need to do before Jesus even opened his mouth. But his humanity, his flesh, caused him to say, can't do it, it's too much. Our hearts are deceitful. But, good news, there's help for our heart. For the Word of God is alive and active. You say, well, here we go again talking about the Bible. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Why week after week, year after year, decade after decade, do we continue to preach from the word of God? Why do we stress the importance of being obedient to God's truth? Why do we encourage and strongly recommend and exhort and challenge you to read your Bibles? Because you've got a deceptive heart that lives within you that's marred by sin and the tool that God gave 
to fix that heart, to point out what's in that heart is, is his truth. And I'm going to tell you, it's the only thing that will declare what's in your heart. That will point right and wrong. It's the only thing. There is nothing else. God, another takeaway from this message. You know what God's asking? He's asking each and every one of us, regardless of where we are on our journey, even if it's a person who's never made a decision for Christ and this whole God thing is brand new, but you're drawn to it, what he's asking you is the same thing he's asking me who's walked with God for, since I was 18, I'm 55, that's 37 years. Actually longer than that. I was, came to Christ, at tw- baptized at 12. I don't know. When did I come to Christ? I remember kneeling and praying a prayer when I was like 11 or 12. But that was the first time that thought came to my mind. The first time the thought came to my mind, I did it. Okay? But he's asking you and he's asking me the same thing to daily pick up your cross and follow him. And I want to read this really quickly to you. Luke chapter 9. 23 to 26. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, if anybody would follow me, sounds familiar? If anybody would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. I'm telling you that God is calling you today and calling me today to daily pick up our cross and follow him. That's radical, Pastor. Yep, it is. But it's nothing more radical than Jesus asked his followers to do. What would you have done if you were Peter standing at your boat? He said, come follow me. And when you realize what he's asking you to do, he's asking you to leave the boat and leave the net, which is leave your career, leave your livelihood, and then come follow me without knowing what you were going to do, without knowing what any of that entailed or the fact that I've got to give that up. What did Peter do? Left the boat right there. He actually left his, the, the other guys there whose father was there. Kind of left him in a lurch. Basically, you, you clean it all up. You take care of it. We're gone. And they left and followed him. My question. Are you and I following God like that? When he says, come follow me. We know in our heart that this has to go to follow him. Are we reckless enough to do it? I think it was, there's a line in the, in the Chosen again when the disciples are walking with Jesus and I think he says, okay, we're going to go to Samaria now. Come along with me. And they're like, good Jews, don't go to Samaria, Jesus. What are you talking about? And that's not, I'm just paraphrasing. And he turns around. I don't know if he ever said this, but it's something I could see him saying. He turns around and said, listen, guys, if, you have to, if we have to have a discussion every time I ask you to, to do something that's uncomfortable or different or weird, this is going to be a long, annoying journey for all of us. And I'm telling you, Jesus is going to put his finger on things in your life when he says, come and follow me, that you're going to say, 
you really can't mean that, Jesus. Or he'll try to explain you around it, and he would look the same thing in his eye saying, no, that's exactly what I mean. And I'm going to tell you, though, dropping it all and following him is the only way to live life that's worth anything. Today, I'm going to tell you this. I don't care how long you've been walking with God or if you've never walked with God a day in your life, our heart needs a surgeon. Not our physical heart, our, our, our spiritual heart needs a surgeon because the Bible already tells us it's deceptive, it's wicked, who can trust it, who can even know it. We need an expert to jump in, to find out what's really there, to fix what's out of place so that we can take up our cross and follow him. David again, a man after, the Bible says a man after God's own heart. He says this, he prays this to God. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Those are not words just for show. We're just blessed to be able to get the inner prayers, the deepest prayers of a man whose heart was soft before the Lord. It was a heart that was open, that had been moved, that had been cut. And he knew that he needed God to enter into his life and go to that place in his heart that he couldn't trust and examine what was there and fix it. Today's your day. I don't care who you are or how you came in here. Today's your day. Today's your day maybe to commit to Jesus for the first time in your life, to really truly commit to him first time, to saying, I'll follow you, Jesus, and I'm willing to give up all that stuff. Today's your day also to commit, recommit to a deeper walk with God and move forward in your relationship with him. My plead with you today is don't remain where you are. Don't remain where you are. And if there's nothing pricking your heart, you pray the prayer of David because you can't trust your own heart. Don't let yourself off the hook. Invite God in. Search me, God. Check my heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. Tell me and show me any weakness that's in there that needs to be removed. And then listen. Don't remain where you are. We're going to take just a few minutes right now where you can be quiet before the Lord and a song that's going to play about our need for where we can go to find a surgeon. I want you, the, the words are going to come up on the screen to do that. You do what you need to do, even listen, watch the words, whatever it is. But the most important thing is recognize right now that you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who's telling you today, come and follow me like you did so many others.